Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. So I don't know how many of you, when you're growing up, you're, uh, your dad basically made you. And frankly, it wasn't dad so much as I just needed money. And if you're going to have, have some money together, you've got to take jobs. And pretty much any job they will give you, you're willing to take because it's going to make you some money. So I remember the first one of these jobs, I was a janitor. Uh, on the, on the crew team, uh, that some, that means you go clean all the schools up, every square inch of every room, uh, the hallways, everything needs to be cleaned up. And of course, if you're the new guy, the punk guy, that means you get all the really fun work, all right? And so there you were down doing the, the grunt work of, uh, of, of the school system. So I did that, uh, shock, uh, uh, put groceries on shelves, you know, stock shelves for, for a long time. Uh, a lot of favorite jobs. Um, I tell you what, one of them was when I was getting starting work on my PhD. Now, this is a long time after, but I still need money and still have pretty much an open summer to make money. And so I went to my friend, uh, Bill Penny. And Bill Penny was a great uh, implement thrower. He, he, he threw the weight throw, they say, the hammer throw. And he held the record at Kansas for decades in the hammer throw. But he also had a concrete business, which meant... You would put concrete, wet concrete, in the truck, and you'd take it to wherever they ever wanted to go. So he said, Matt, man, I'll hire you. I'll let you, I'll let you drive for us. I thought, all right, I can drive for you. Then I started thinking about it. Oh, no, I don't think about trucks. Trucks are intimidating me. I don't like trucks. And furthermore, all the bad things I can imagine happening. By the way, almost all of them happened, all those bad things. <laughs> think the worst. Yeah, that thing happened. Okay, I mean, just terrible stuff. Uh, the worst part of the job is, uh, in Kansas City right now, the pennies, uh, the little place we were at is surrounded by all kinds of development. I mean, there's it a pre-development days on the outskirts of Kansas City. And I'm supposed to get in one of these red trucks, and what they're going to tell me is, okay, Friedman, listen, we need for you to go to this place. I said, well, where is that place at? Well, you dummy, all right. Well, you're going to go east here, then you're going to go up, then you're going to hit a road that's going to go northwest. Then there's a little jog south. Then you need to head. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Let me write all this down. It didn't matter. I'm terrible with directions. I'm terrible with directions, particularly when you start throwing in east, west, north, south. I mean, and the northwest, forget about it. I mean, I, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. Well, so they do that. And pretty soon they understood this guy is like clueless. He doesn't know Kansas City, which I definitely didn't. Well, they, they, they throw out a street name, and they assume every meathead in this state knows exactly where that street is. Every meathead did, except me. This meathead didn't. So this one, okay, they, they finally bring me in, and there's three or four of them that are surrounded, uh, surrounding this guy. This guy's, the dispatch guy's going to say, okay, this is what you're going to do. And three of them are surrounded. They've been talking about me. Uh, they've been talking about how dumb I am. I'm about ready to study for a PhD, by the way, about how dumb I am, and how he doesn't have a clue. And we're going to give him instructions so easy, no imbecile could, pro- could possibly do this wrong. So I said, okay, okay, Matt, this is what we're going to have you do. Get in the truck, leave the ground, something, oh gosh, come on. And then go down to, and they mention a street. I don't know the street. I'm going to throw in a name. Monument Street. Okay? I said, okay. 
Then you're just going to go a half mile down. It'll be on your left. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm leaving here, about ready to get in my red truck. And as, uh, as I'm leaving, they said, and by the way, if you get to Lansing, you've gone too far. And everybody's snickering and laughing. <laughs> Lansing, can you imagine anybody actually getting... So, you don't need to know everything about this tale. You just need to know that in about 25 minutes, I see a sign that says, Welcome to Lansing. I was horrified. I was so horrified. I almost, I mean, I'm, listen now. I'm an all-American athlete, right? Big A champion. I got some things under my belt. Been to the Olympic trials. I'm a he-man. I'm tough guy. I'm crying. I'm almost crying because I know they're laughing back. But see, they don't know. And so I turned the truck around as fast as I can and start, I mean, headed back. And sure enough, my truck number eight, by the way. Eight, where are you? I thought, I'm not even going to put up with that. I just clicked it off. I clicked off the radio. I said, I know what they're going to do. And I know when they find out where I'm at, they're going to laugh their heads off and they're going to make fun of me. And then they're going to probably fire me. I get all that. I just turned the radio off. Y'all, don't turn the radio off. Got it? And yet, if you ask the question of Christians all around America, if they're honest, they will tell you, yeah, I pray, but do you have an established time where you're really spending time with Jesus in a concerted way? And not only lay people, but also ministers are pretty bad at doing that. I uh, get together regularly with the district superintendent uh, of our denomination, and he was saying, listen, Tough times in my little, uh, in my little area of the world because, uh, honestly, I got the feeling they're not praying. And he'd sent out a tough note to them, say, you guys need to pray. And I'm thinking, it's worse than you think. It's worse than you think. He says, I said, not only are they not praying, about 90% of them haven't prayed for a long time in the kind of way we've traditionally talked about. And that is, set a time, set a place, sit down and be with Jesus. Get your radio on. Now, back when I was a seminary, I had a guy named Al Coppage that had me and a number of other guys in a discipleship group. And he kind of had tiers of discipleship. Had older guys and then sort of middle guys and younger guys. And I was kind of in the middle of group. And I had a hero that was going to seminary at that time. Uh, and he was a guy that, frankly, we, we kind of hoped and dreamed and prayed for that he would marry my sister. Uh, he didn't marry my sister, uh, and married another beautiful gal, and we were grateful for that as well. But the fact of the matter is, we had a talk one day, him and about three or four others of us, and he was saying how upset he would, was at Dr. Coppage. What's wrong? Why are you upset? I'm going to call him Dan. Dan, why are you upset? He says, because I laid my burdens before him. I told him everything that's wrong with my life. You know what he said? What did he say? Dan, he said, how's your devotional life? As if everything's going to be taken care of by a devotional life. I don't know who it was. It wasn't me because he was my hero. But somebody in the group says, how is your devotional life? He said, well, it's, it's no good. It's terrible. But that has nothing to do with my problems. Ah, 
he turned the radio off and wondering, was starting to wonder, why can't I hear from God? Why isn't he speaking into my life? Why isn't something going on here that's radically changing me for his kingdom? I am frustrated. Don't, but don't, don't ask about my radio. Don't ask about my devotional life. So let's get to the text here today. One of the interesting things about this whole passage is, I had planned on talking about prayer today, but this was the passage this week that showed up in these readings that we've just directed you to for next week. This is last week's reading. And I just got into 1 Samuel. I just thought Jesus was saying, Matt, this is the passage I want you to use concerning prayer. E. Stanley Jones, great Indian missionary, said this. If I were to put my finger on the greatest lack in American Christianity, I would unhesitatingly point to the need for an effective prayer life among laity and ministers. If I had one gift, and only one gift, to make to the Christian church, I would offer the gift of prayer. Prayer tones up the total life. Stanley Jones says, I find by actual experience I am better or worse as I pray more or less. If my prayer life sags, my whole life sags with it. If my prayer life goes up, my whole life goes up with it. In the prayer time, the battle of the spiritual life is lost or it is won. Prayer is not an optional subject in the curriculum of living. It is a required subject. It is the required subject. And there's no graduation into adequate human living without prayer. So I just want to talk with you about that today. Do you have a time? Typically, historically, it's always been in the morning. When you sit down with an open Bible and say, I am pouring my praise out to God. I'm confessing my sins to God. I'm giving thanksgiving to Him. And I have some requests I'm laying before Him as well. Do you have a time like that every day with Jesus for His glory? And most of us do not. And we have increasingly got to say, if we want to become the church Jesus wants us to be, there's got to be a rising tide of the prayer life, a set-aside time. Somebody's going to say, well, hey, I pray. Prayed all day long. Pray going down the road. That's great. Do that. But you also have to have a time set aside. Now, this is what they teach in 12-step groups. You need a devotional time every day, a time where you can sit down and meditate, Have a devotional time and really seek the Lord. And when that's on the uprise, you're going to find that your addiction problems can be conquered. God's going to give you the grace, especially during that time, for your problems. But if that ever goes down, that's where you began falling off the wagon. It wasn't, hey, I got a temptation one evening and I fell to the temptation. No, you fell to the temptation when you stopped having a prayer life. When you stopped reading your scripture, when you quit meditating, that's when you started falling off the wagon. You need to have this time. It fortifies everything about you. So just some quick points here today. First off is this, the story of Samuel. You remember this. Hannah is barren. Hannah doesn't have any children. So she prays to God. She prays in such a way, by the way, that Eli, the priest, said, man, she's drunk. She's drunk. And she said, no, I'm not drunk. I just want a boy. I just want a baby. And so uh, God blesses her with a baby. And this baby's name is Samuel. And so with that boy, as she's praying, she says, if he gives me a baby, I want to dedicate him 
to the Lord, which in her mind means I will give him up to the, t- to the tabernacle and to the tent of meeting and to the priest. It happened. She nursed the baby. Then she took Samuel to Eli, the priest, at the tabernacle to be used of the Lord. Now, in chapter 2, it says Eli struggled with his own sons. And his own sons were sleeping with women who served at the doorway of the tabernacle. You can only imagine what God thinks about that. Now, there's an important word that keeps coming up here. And the word is Shema. Say Shema with me. And Shema means to hear, to listen, but also in its fullest sense of the word, to obey. Had, had Eli been really listening to the Lord when his sons were doing that, he would have spoken to them, rebuked them, but if they didn't repent, he would have stoned them. The law talks about this kind of thing. We do not play with this kind of sin. We do not play with this sort of thing, particularly in the tent of meeting, particularly at the tabernacle, and he didn't do it. These were his boys. And so, it said that Eli heard what his sons were doing. If, in fact, if you look there real quick, uh, if you go to 1 Samuel 2, chapter before we were reading, this word Shema is used by the writer, I think, to grasp our attention. We don't get it in English because we don't have Shema there. But it says in chapter 2, verse 22, Now Eli was very old, and he heard about everything that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they slept with women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why are you doing such things as these? And then get down to verse 25. If one person sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a person sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not shema. They would not listen to the voice of the Father. So Eli shema, he heard about everything his sons were doing, but they would not hear or listen to the voice of the Father. And so we've got problems right here in the tabernacle. And over there you've got the ark of the Lord, where God's special presence seems to be. This ark of the Lord, and everyone cherishes the ark. Oh my goodness, God's presence is strong in this place. As long as that ark is with us, we're about ready to run into trouble with that. Eli heard what his sons were doing. Radical action should have been taken. Radical action was not taken. Um, David here, David Sheffield, does great stuff in the prison, in in prison aftercare. But he regularly goes to the prison and goes incarcerated with this question. How many of you heard the Holy Spirit in your life and you just disobeyed? How many of you here? And this is a prison for crying out loud. And you think, everybody'd say, well, what's the Holy Spirit? They don't. They know who the Holy Spirit is. They know who God is. You know, this is the South, y'all. Everybody in that prison, many of them in that prison, think they're Christian, know God, know the Holy Spirit, and someone won't even show up for Bible study because they know it all already. So they're there, and David says, hey, how many of you heard the Holy Spirit and you just disobeyed? And David says, it never fails. All hands go up. Every hand. Every hand in the Bible stable will say, yep, that's me. I heard God talking. I just decided not to listen. I decided not to shema. To which we say, well, yeah, of course. But when I heard, when David said that first time, I didn't say, yeah, that's a, that's a prisoner. And David, 
By the way, by the way, this is the coolest thing. David gets an opportunity to go down to the coast next weekend, right? Greatest Facebook post I think I've ever seen. They walked me out in handcuffs from the coast 10 years ago. And now, 10 years later, I get to go back with the gospel of Jesus Christ at the Gulf Coast Church of the Nazarene. How cool is that? And what happened in that time is David started listening to the voice of the Lord and obeying, which is exactly what Shema is like. When David said that for the first time, I said, I didn't think, yeah, those idiot prisoners. I thought to myself, Matt, are you Shema? Matt, are you listening? And Matt, furthermore, are you obeying? A lot of people will hear sermons, will hear the Bible. Uh, A lot of people will hear a podcast or hear the Christian radio but that's not enough. That's not Shema. Shema is hear and obey. Now, the next time we see this word Shema, if you'll look down at chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. You remember the story. Samuel keeps hearing this voice. Samuel. He thinks it's Eli. He runs to Eli. Eli says, no, it's not me. No, it's not me. And finally, Eli gets it. Hey, this is probably the Lord speaking to you. So next time, say, here I am. Shut up. Let's see what he has to say. So Eli said to Samuel, chapter 3, verse 9, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is Shema, is listening. Verse 10, And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is Shema, is listening. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm going to do a thing in Israel and both ears of everyone who Shema, who hears about it, will... I don't like my translation here. Mine says ring. I like the translation that says tingle. Here, 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 here. Five times the word's used. A couple times, they're not doing a very good job of it. But here we have Samuel wide open to the possibilities. Now, I think this teaches us something about prayer. And I think this means... That you need to know, I need to know, this church needs to know, God is calling. But it doesn't help if we're not listening. And it doesn't help if we're not obeying. So we need to listen to Him. And the best way that we know to listen to Him is to stop. Best time I think to do it is in the morning. Now I got to tell you, I'm an evening guy. Like my eyelids come open at 10 p.m. I'm starting to say, it's time to party. I haven't even partied in my life. Not worth a hoot, anyway. I still want to do it. 10 p.m., woo, let's go. But I found out it's hard to wake up in the morning and have a quiet time, have a devotional time with Jesus, when you were up at 12 and 1 and 2. So you know what I started to do? I started saying, really, I'm not doing much after 8. And life is totally closed down at 9. Now I'm, I'm hanging on because I think maybe something could happen, but no. And so I started going to bed at 9. Waking up at four. Now, that's not because I'm a holy guy. It's because I didn't have any other time during the day to do it. Wake up earlier, y'all. You think, well, I just can't. Yeah, you can. Wake up earlier. Go in, and this is where I do it. I do it in my big brown easy chair. I crank it back, and I've got ten things that I roll through that I do. And I offer these things up to Jesus. I allow Him to talk to me through these ten things, and my life is absolutely better when I do that, and it's worse when I don't do it. 
So I'm just going to suggest you, if you want to hear from the Lord, if you want to open up the possibilities of your life, that's the best possible thing you can do, is get a Bible, get a prayer life going with that open Bible, and let Him speak to you powerfully. And then start obeying what He's saying to you. So, God is calling. Samuel here eventually answers, hey, here I am, and then he obeys. But if you look, the, some of the, most, the best part of this to me is chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel was attending to the service of the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions weren't frequent. You know why I think that was? Very few people were stopping to hear and obey. Then it says this, but it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. This is what it says. Now his eyesight had begun to be poor. He could not see well. Verse 3, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Y'all listen to me. I happen to think evangelicalism in America is in deep trouble. And one of the premier reasons is this. We are not praying. We're not opening up the Bible on a regular basis, and we're not listening and obeying to Him. And Dayspring needs to be the group of people that stands up and says, that's what's going to be the major marker of my daily life. I start off with prayer. I start off with an open Bible. I start off with God every day. If that would happen for a half hour every day in your life, my goodness, I can't tell you the difference it'd make in your life, in your family's life, and in this church's life. This is the kind of stuff that would happen. We'd get folks like Samuels. We have a Samuel, by the way. That's pretty cool. You'd get folks like Samuel arising from this church and going and doing remarkable things, both inside this church and beyond this church, and with their careers for the Lord Jesus Christ. When we don't do it, increasingly fewer people want to be around us, the lamp goes out. You say, well, the lamp never really goes out, does it? It did in the tabernacle. Yes, it did. It went out. It says here, at this point in history, it had not yet gone out. Y'all, I think we're in trouble. But I don't think the lamp's gone out. And I still think there's opportunity for us to return to a devotional time and say, Lord, here is my life on a daily basis. Do incredible things in me. Do incredible things through me. I just want you to know, if there is a lack of Shema, then bad things can definitely happen. I want to, want to remind you about the bad things that happen in this verse. Uh, actually, it's the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 17. Because Eli and his two sons did not hear and obey, Israel fled before the Philistines. And there was a great defeat among the people. And the sons, Hophni and Phinehas, fell dead. And the ark of God was taken from Israel. And when... That was mentioned to Eli. Eli fell off the seat backward behind the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for he was old and heavy. Nothing makes us older. Nothing makes us heavier than the lack of a prayer life. 
the lack of Shema in our life. He was old and heavy. And the glory departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. The presence of the Lord was taken. He walked out the doors. Could that happen to you? Yes, it could. Could that happen to your family? Yes, it could. Could that happen to this church? Yes, it could. And really, we get a vote in whether it happens or not. And our vote happens every day as we decide to or not to spend time in prayer with an open book. And so I would just suggest you here, Dayspring needs to get a method of talking and listening to God. I choose five psalms a day. That's how I do it. And I also choose a proverb. Now, that's one of the ten things I do in the morning. But I pray through five psalms. And I start with the 16th, because today is the 16th. So I've already done this today. So I'm the 16th, and then I add 30. Now, I'm not a mathematician. And a lot of mornings, I'm a little bit dazed. And so I go 16. Let's see, 26, 30, 46. 46 is the next where I go. And I pray through Psalm 46, then Psalm 76, then Psalm 106, then Psalm 136. Then I return to the 16th paragraph of Psalm 119. I like to pray one paragraph out of Psalm 119 every day. And I just lift it up to Jesus. I praise Him, confess my sins to Him, give Him thanks, ask Him for things through those psalms. Then I, uh, I pray a proverb over one of my children or my wife. So I have a wife, we have, uh, we have six kids, we got two spouses. Uh, I call that the freedom in nine. So really through nine days, I'll pray the proverb of that day. So Proverbs 16 today for uh, whatever's worth for my sweet daughter-in-law, Taylor. Uh, or he told her today, I prayed for you. Josh, you were yesterday. And I just pray through these things for them. And I believe God blesses our family because of it. I think he blesses me because of it. And I think he can bless his church because of it. I just want you to know it's one of the things, one of the ten things that I do. And he'd say, well, what are the other ten things? I'll tell you, anytime you want to know, I'll tell you. Email me and I'll send you the whole list. But the important thing is you get some rhythm and rhyme to your daily time with the Lord and make it happen. By his grace, he will change you. He will transform you into something extraordinary. Now, if you're taking notes... Take this note. There is a resource called The Hour That Changes the World, written by Dick Eastman. And what he does is there's 12 parts of prayer. Spend five minutes on every one of these parts, and you'll spend an hour in prayer. He says, furthermore, most people won't spend an hour, not the first time. They'll spend 12 minutes. Just spend one minute on every one of these parts. I'd order the book. I was, probably should have ordered a whole bunch of them for you already. But didn't. Maybe I'll do that in the next coming weeks. Get the hour that changes the world. That's another way to spend time with the Lord. The third way is every week, I don't know if you even know this, uh, said it once or twice, every week I put my sermon notes on a page that you can grab that right on the front table. So if you ever want to see what he has said or what he is going to say, you can get the sermon notes. On the back of those sermon notes today, and I, I made sure there were extra out there, is an hour with God. 
Now you can spend an hour. Again, you can spend 12 minutes. But on two sheets, I would put that in your Bible, and I would just try it out. See how it feels. It says, all right, first thing you ought to do is spend five minutes adoring the Lord. Next thing, five minutes approaching his throne of holiness with repentance. 20 minutes praying for others. And it has four different, five different categories of people you need to be praying for. And then bring your personal needs and requests before God five minutes. This is a great way to spend time with the Lord. It's easy. It's understandable. And if you move through this, what God's going to do is say, why don't we do a little bit of something different there? So and pretty soon you'll morph into your own specialized hour of prayer. This is a great thing to start off with. It's available for you right out here. You can stick it in your Bible, start using it tomorrow morning. And you don't have to do it for a whole hour. Just do it for one minute per category, and you will be spending about three times the amount of time the typical evangelical in America spends in daily prayer. And if that happens in this church, this church is taken off. If that happens in your family, your family's taken off. If that happens with you, you're taken off. I'm just going to tell you, it's a great way to start a day. Now, one other thing here. We usually say in the Habits of a Day Springer that we sometimes read here that we believe in spousal prayer. Getting together with your spouse and praying. Uh, Pray with your spouse daily. Do that for five minutes a day. I, I saw this. Research done with the Institute for Family Studies. Men and women who report praying together frequently are 17 percentage points more likely to say they are very happy together. Joint prayer is likely to engender a heightened sense of emotional intimacy, communication, and reflection about relationship priorities and concerns, and a sense of divine involvement in your relationship with each other and with the Lord. In fact, shared prayer was the stronger predictor of relationship quality than all other factors measured in the study, including sex, how many times you had sex, including education, including age of couples. It was a stronger predictor of good marriage than anything else you could do. And I want to tell you what, I've been a pastor a long time. I've got a couple other guys been a pastor. We've got pastors sitting here today, and I guarantee if you would ask any one of the folks that have been in ministry for the last 50 years, not a one of them will tell you, I knew about a divorce of a couple that prayed together every, every day. There is no divorce when people pray together every day. I'm just telling you straight up. There is no divorce when people pray together every day. You want a divorce-free church? Let's get all of our couples praying five minutes together every day. And let's see that happen in our midst. I'm just going to say, I think this is an excellent text to teach ourselves about prayer. James Mishner, anybody ever read, read any of his books? I'm not a, a Mishner fan, but that's only because I never tried. I, I've never read any of his books. But there's a book called The Source, apparently. And in that book, there is a, a man named Herbal. He's a farmer, lived about uh, 2200 B.C. And Herbal was interesting because uh, he believed in two gods. One was a god of death, and one was a goddess of fertility. One day... The temple priest, where he attended temple, the temple priest said, Herbal, if you want a good crop this year, you need to bring your son to the temple and we're going to sacrifice him. And Herbal said, I want good crops. So he did it. And they killed his son right in front of him and his wife's face. And then on the appointed day, he went back to the temple. And the priest announced that day, 
that one of the fathers who sacrificed their sons will spend the next week in the temple with a new temple prostitute. And Erbal's wife is stunned as she notices a desire written across Erbal's face that she'd never seen before. More intensely written across his visage than she'd ever seen. And she's overwhelmed, it says, to see him eagerly lunge forward when his name is called. Ceremony was over. She walks out of the temple with her head swimming. And she says this to herself. If a ball, my husband, had had different gods, he would have been a different man. Every day, you have opportunity to look into the face through the word and through prayer of a different God. Different means holy. Holy means different. We get to look into the face of a holy God. Can I tell you the truth? Some days it's really exciting. Some days I kind of got to push through. But every day I know it's a holy God I'm conversing with right now. And he intends to make me and my family and my church different people through my prayer life. And he wants to do the same through yours. By grace, by grace, start the habit. By grace, let it come alive in you, through you. Out on the front table, there's a little prayer guide if you want it. If not, try something that gets you into the Word and gets you into prayer, that gets you looking into the face of a different God. Stand, if you would, Dayspring. Lord, bless us that we might be a blessing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.